intimacy to you? And how is technology changing it? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, nowadays, at least in countries like Germany or the UK, many people have this kind of very intimate relationship with their, with their devices or with their computers. Intimacy is something that I don't want to share with other people. It's something that I keep to myself and that's nobody's business. So something that's very close to me, but just for me. There's a lot of intimacy um, that I feel very alienated about. Maybe it's a generational thing. I have two daughters that are 16 and 19. Um, and they share things that are very intimate in a digital context. I like to share things in a non-digital context that are intimate. Okay. This is How Might We, a podcast about how technology is changing us all and how we can understand that and use it to design a more human-centered world. I'm Anne, a design director at IDEO, currently based in Berlin. Hi there, Anne. I'm Ed. I'm the senior editor based at IDEO in London. So if you don't know IDEO, we're a design and innovation consultancy. We've been around for over 30 years and designed everything from the first Apple mouse to whole school systems. That's right. And in our work, we spend an awful lot of time talking to different people, watching what they do, how they live, and talking to experts and people living at the extremes. And from that, figuring out how we think the world is changing. And we're using that to design better things, better services, better experiences for them. And Ed, we should say this is our first try at a podcast here in indeed. Europe. <laughs> um, so bear with us. But it's a prototype. And big thanks to Moritz and Teresa at Radio Bureau for the help. And of course to Diego and Joe from Idea Futures, the parents of our podcast family. Indeed, indeed. Today we're looking at how technology is changing the way we connect with others in a very special way. I thought intimacy is the relationship you have with very few people. But today, it may be also used to describe a form of dating and physical intimacy you have with many, many more. Absolutely, I think it can. And do you remember when we were first talking about this? I think it was me, uh, Anne and Lorenzo, actually. And we sent around that piece from Vanity Fair and it was called Tinder and the Dawn of the Dating Apocalypse. And it was all over Facebook and Twitter. Uh, it feels like an incredibly understated title, right? Totally. And it was filled with these stories that I think are familiar to any of us who are out there in the world. Um, people in bars, their faces glowing as they stare down at their smartphones and they're swiping left and right. They're ignoring those around them who are doing the same thing. And in the story, there's this one about this young woman who tells how she had gone home with a Tinder match and after having sex with him was uh, getting dressed and realized as she turned around to look at the guy who was still in bed that he had his back to her and he was already on his phone back on Tinder. Oops, you got to be ready for that. Yeah, absolutely, right? So later in the story, a guy called Christopher Ryan, he's the uh, rather famous author of a book about humans and sex called Sex at Dawn. And he says we're not really intimate anymore, but that we're gorging. He had this fantastic expression. He said we're suffering from what he called psychosexual obesity, which is crazy, right? Yeah, but intimacy isn't just meeting people to, well, get it on, of course. Because Facebook, WhatsApp, Snapchat and others is where you intimately connect with more people than ever before. You're texting, you're sharing what you think and how you feel. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, especially when it comes to things like relationships, from our parents' time when there was no technology at all to, you know, our years dating when you were younger and the rise of online dating right through to Tinder today. It feels like technology is playing a much more important part in really these incredibly intimate moments in our life. And perhaps because of that, our notions of intimacy are changing too. That's so true. 
I got curious about this when somebody I know, well, I don't know that well, told me about this line on his Tinder profile, as if it was something completely public. I think it said something like, I have itchy feet. Why would I consider a dating profile not to be something to talk about? Isn't that weird? I still have to say, I kind of want to know who this person is, but there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Do people crave really more intimacy because they're on Tinder? Technology makes it finally super easy to meet people. It does, yeah. What did you call it? Psychosexual obesity? Is there too much or too little intimacy? I mean, sure, software changed how we shop and travel, communicate and make stuff. But does it also change how and who we kiss? Will our kids really meet the loves of their lives with a swipe? Okay, so I got to say, Anne, those are some big, big questions. And so to kind of explore those, we went out to find what intimacy was really about today. And so we organized a little get together of designers and friends here in Berlin, where we're currently running a little kind of pop up studio. And I suppose you could say it was an intimate gathering. We wanted to know how sex is being changed specifically by technology. And how is technology changing how we relate to each other in the physical world? So it was a rainy, chilly Berlin evening. We held the event at this apartment um, ground floor of a grand 19th century building. And we had candles and some good bread and good wine. And um, like every good party, actually, people loved to hang out in the kitchen and started chatting and getting to know each other. Um, And yeah, before we started, we we wanted to get a sense of um, how people in the room viewed intimacy and um, yeah, what it means to them and how it's being changed um, through technology. So Ed, you went out with your microphone in your hand and asked a couple of friends. I did indeed. And as an amateur, when it comes to recording people, I went up to a good friend, Shruti. So she's one of our wonderful design researchers in Munich. And because she spends a lot of time asking people about their lives uh, and rifling through their wardrobes and chatting to them, I thought she'd have a really interesting perspective. And true enough, she does. So I have sort of two perspectives that have been front of my mind. So on the one hand, she loves the intimacy that technology allows. She has a weekly call with her parents who live back in India. We have this like Sunday morning Skype call connection, which I've gotten to be really comfortable with and it feels really close to me and I don't feel the distance anymore. It's technology sort of closing the gap. Technology closing the gap, even when you live abroad. Love that. Right. But the other side of that, she says, is that she's single. And she argued that she hasn't kept up with the world of dating that's now mediated by technologies like Tinder. This whole world of Tinder and online dating is really challenging me. I recognize that we're always performing ourselves almost, but this idea of doing it in a digital medium where I'm not entirely in control of the tools that I have and someone is providing me sort of like the text field where I can fill in something about myself is really hard for me and also killing the serendipity of of meeting people. But in that world, it sounds like we crave control of our image and means to express who we are how we feel, how we want to be perceived, and making sure that there's still some happy accidents left that you run into someone you actually love. I'm still finding my balance between trusting technology to mediate my conversations with people and being old-fashioned and saying, I just want to bump into the right guy. What, what I realized when I heard this, Shruti saying this, is that, yes, dating apps provide easier access in the moment, um, but but then also removing certain barriers of meeting someone by making the first contact quite convenient and easy. But on the other hand, 
There are elements which seem quite limiting, no? I totally agree. Shruti said she felt pretty limited by the blinking text box that asks who you are. That felt like it doesn't capture us at all in some ways. It felt she said, very visual, very superficial. But that misses so much of the nuances of attraction that we're used to uh, in the real world or in the physical world. So, Anne, what's your take on that as a designer? Well, do you really need just a swipe to approve something or someone? It really excludes all these undecidedness, a quality that I think, frankly, is something you could perceive as the most important and indulgent moments of dating, not being sure about someone or something and finding out if you are the right guy, doing this one step at a time, as painful as it is. But, you know, also maybe people are just using dating apps to seek entertainment and fun and not find the one guy, which is fine, right? I mean, not intimacy for the long term, just for tonight. So for me, it felt like when I was reading the Vanity Fair piece, my takeaway was you can't help feeling that apps like Tinder are kind of an uberization of sex, if, if that's a word. We're sort of living lives where we own less these days and just access things more. So you can get your food, a film, a cab, uh, an apartment, pretty much anything on demand. So why not a relationship, I suppose? When we were coming up with ideas for guests, our colleague Lorenzo remembered he'd heard about a new app that launched called Olala. Oh mm -hmm. It was a paid dating app, as in not you pay for the app, as in you pay for a date. Mm -hmm. So we figured we'd ask the founder, Pia, to come and tell us more about intimacy and how to design for that. Indeed we did. So last November, I sat down to chat with Pia in a makeshift studio space next to where we held the event. She's 20-something, Austrian originally, and came to Berlin to study business ethics of all things. So before she created Olala, Pia founded an erotic entertainment app called Pepper in 2014 in Germany. She's no longer involved with Pepper, but it was the research and everything that led to the app that we were curious about. It was when she was studying that the idea for the app struck her. That day I had a glass of wine or two or three and I saw sex workers on the streets uh, and I found it very inefficient uh, that they have to wait out there. So here's how Pepper works. You open the web app and book your um, erotic services. Then when you found what you're looking for, you pay, including a booking fee. And to be honest, it looks pretty transparent. So by trying to make this more efficient, Pia was very much looking at intimacy from a purely transactional point of view, right? She is, yeah. It was pretty transactional. She talked about how digital streamlines the process and made it quicker, safer and easier. I think she felt that that was the most important thing. And the emotional stuff, I suppose, was for people using the app to figure out offline and in person. I think she said it was a private matter, is how she put it, uh, rather than trying to design for it in the app itself. In fact, like lots on demand startups around the world. Absolutely. And related to that understanding of how our notions of intimacy are changing today, one of the big things that struck me, Anne, was the terminology, literally the word prostitution, the P word. Pia didn't like it. In fact, when she created her new app, Ulala, in 2015, she used an entirely new term to describe the nuances of modern intimacy. This particular thing or this market is so complex that one word is not enough to explain what is happening. And so what we were going for, finding a rather more neutral term and say paid dating. Also, the design of her new site, Ulala, and the wording is important to the women who use it, she said. Truly, honestly speaking, they love that we give it a different picture and a different wording. 
and um, that we like save their privacy and it's no public profile. So the main aspect is actually that they find it super cool that people are offering a platform that is not devaluating, not shabby and stuff. What she just said makes me think it's, it's dignity that Olala provides. I guess when it comes to sites like this that have traditionally had a social stigma. Yeah, exactly. Then she also said something I found really interesting. She said, we focus on women. And I think that's key because that leads on to something that at least she says is vital here. And we really heavily focus on the issues for, for the women. That's why we put a heavy focus on privacy and make it as anonymous as possible for both sides. So by empowering women, they're designing so they can offer what they want and charge what they want and have a record of the chat. It feels like it's more on their terms in some ways. Plus, the exchange of money makes people commit on both sides, makes it more honest in a way. Absolutely. There's something, to me at least, about designing accountability into Ulala, which is an important part of what digital can do to make something that's a little bit underground, shall we say, a bit more safe. So Uber drivers, for example, and passengers having star ratings changes behaviour. That didn't matter when it wasn't recorded. And at the same time, she said Ulala had been designed in a way that doesn't make people feel judged. You have to understand if people pay for dates, they're not so super happy and excited that I'm so proud that I pay for a date. So what we give them is a neutral, not like judging booking platform or meat market whatsoever. So it feels very clean and not judgmental. That's what they like about it. Giving control and boundaries to people seems like a huge benefit at times where people may underestimate how vulnerable they are or want to be and how either impactful or completely boring this may get after a while. What did she think about how technology is changing intimacy? Well, her view, or my take on it, was that technology enables a huge amount more choice. I think for a broad audience to have an access or the chance of getting to connect to people they would not meet otherwise. So maybe it fosters encounters, so to say, and it makes it more efficient and I think I really believe safer. And that's it. So... It really, a lot of apps out there focus on the matchmaking and you get in touch with people you have would have never met otherwise. This element of greater choice keeps coming up. Once using apps, there's an abundance of potential physical encounters. But there's also more and more apps for very different specific needs around intimacy. Very much so. Remember that study that said divorces were going up because of Facebook and bluntly people hooking up with their exes or flirting? It could make people value less what makes them feel connected to a few people. The dreamy social romantic part could go away completely. Or the opposite may be the case, that we may see people completely removing themselves from this big meat marketplace of physical transaction. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Because sex itself doesn't get easier. And the emotional part has not been really taken care of either. I think we're social creatures and we always want to be intimate with people. And, and by that, I mean physically and emotionally. But technology's role is just making it easier to get that for me. Ultimately, I think the intimacy part will always be kind of in the physical world, won't it? Well, until VR gets immersive bodysuits, at least. Not sure if I agree, because if you look at family, for instance, you can see how despite being separate, you share these intimate moments using technology, being about... You know, saying good morning to my kids via FaceTime when I'm not around or sending a quick note. Yeah, it's a really good point. I'm just remembering what Shruti said when we spoke to her earlier, that she feels connected to her family because of her weekly Skype calls. Your 
You're listening to How Might We, the audio podcast where we look at how technology is changing and what it means for us and design. In this episode, we are looking at how intimacy is changing. We just heard from Pierre, actually, the founder of an app for paid dating. And now we're going to talk about how technology might help us get offline more and connect better with our loved ones. We've been all there, right, Ed? Absolutely. That moment when you're having dinner with a friend and they pull out their phone and it feels part of modern life. But there's still, I think, a feeling that it's like pulling out a broadsheet newspaper at the table, you know, or certainly I feel like that. And it feels like someone's opening it right in front of you so you can't see them anymore. I think it's terrible manners. Yeah, and it's it's actually this idea of um, emerging digital etiquette, right? Our obsession with our phones makes people choose to take time out from their cell phones just to be in the moment. Yeah, I mean, one of my things, honestly, this is a bugbear for me. It's when I'm with my partner, Linda, um, we have a thing where screens are banned at dinner. Well, as much as possible. Because we think there's a place to be in the moment to be there undistracted and kind of unmediated. Wait, and, and having an actual conversation? Having an actual conversation, indeed. So there's one very vocal critic of the role of technology in our lives, and that's Professor Sherry Turkle. And she's fiercely critical of how we've let technology do something kind of more sinister. She's a professor of social studies of science and technology at MIT. That's a bit of a mouthful. But she spent decades studying our relationships with each other and how computers and technology are changing that. And in a recent New York Times piece, she argued that by mediating our lives with technology, it's getting in the way physically and mentally. It's making us, she argues, less empathetic, more insular, or as she puts it in her book, alone, together. Are we connecting more through technology or are we actually becoming more alone together? It's an interesting point. And I spoke to someone at the evening who we thought had a really interesting proposition around this very tension. We are a company that created an app that helps you to unplug uh, in a hyperconnected world. And we do this by blocking out apps, calls, notifications, all sort of things that keep distracting you from the stuff uh, that is actually important to you. That's Michael. He's the founder of an app called Offtime. He started Offtime because of his son. My son is three and a half years old now. And uh, when he started to grow up uh, during the first year, second year, whatever, uh, I realized that um, I had a hard time sticking with what he was actually doing. Instead, I, I kept uh, looking at my emails, um, checking a notification that I just got. Um, <clears throat> I just answered the call that came in from that was still work-related or anything like that. He said that led him to decide he needed a solution beyond just switching his phone off. He said that wasn't enough. And that led to off time. It's fascinating that some of the most difficult behavior changes people are willing to do and go through is actually for the sake of their loved ones. You can see that a lot with health-related issues, too. Absolutely. And there's something about being present, I think. Moments matter. And when you're somewhere else, you really miss them. Yeah, there was a study back in 2013, actually, that found people who take photos of things are much poorer at remembering them than people who didn't. So we are outsourcing our memories to technology and losing them for ourselves? I'm not sure that's a good thing. I completely agree, I have to say. So Michael also mentioned a therapeutic element to all this. It's uh, very important to once in a while find and uh, create spaces where you're disconnected, to confront yourself with, with who you are, to find solitude, 
to reconnect with uh, closed ones. Uh, it's creating intimate uh, spheres for yourself. And these don't happen if you're always in a public space. Uh, you really have to, to take care and take measures uh, to shape these. And uh, for this, I think it's just important to also have technical means to disconnect. We've talked about giving users control in order to connect or trust. But in Michael's case, he demands technology to make sure we take better care of our relationships. It needs to support us in our efforts to, to reconnect with others, to find intimacy, uh, instead of what most of the technology is doing, which is just exploiting us, uh, exploiting our weaknesses too. Because most apps, software or websites are the opposite. They want you to be completely immersed for as long as possible. This is the only purpose, because they benefit from it. And so we need to create measures, take measures to get back into control. Michael's app Offtime is so fascinating. I would love to design for these different spheres that he speaks about. Disconnecting to be more intimate with people around you. Yeah, if you think about it, how might we design for more intimacy rather than the amount of time we want a user to spend on an app? Wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah, and actually we could enable something like slow dating, mindfulness and focus on the immediate circle of friends and family. How could we design more mindful use of technology? So we've taken a really positive look at how technology is changing intimacy, but of course we can't not think about the darker side of connectivity. So for instance, uh, there's lots of stories of kids who are being bullied virtually through messaging apps and social networks long after the school bell has stopped ringing. And I think... It's something, and I guess as kids, we didn't have to worry about. And so vulnerable people who are suffering, in some senses, suffer more through being connected, you could argue. Yeah, but for some people, the web is a window, actually. Perhaps the only window for people to find other like-minded people like them, whether that's a young woman, um, gay people or ethnic minorities. And they have a safe place to share their experiences with others. People who feel alone, vulnerable, and can't express themselves. There's definitely a tension there. So is technology enabling intimacy for people who desperately need support and help? Or is it enabling something a little bit darker, where vulnerable people can be picked on more readily? To explore that side of technology, we invited Sarah to speak at our event about intimacy in Berlin. Sarah is a researcher here at a nonprofit called The Engine Room, and interested in the relationship between power and technology. For Zara, technology allows people to connect across the world and build networks of intimacy that were, frankly, impossible before. The, the relationship that I think of when I think about technology and intimacy is much more around people building communities with whom they feel intimate, as opposed to kind of really targeted one-to-one uh, -one relationships that are very intimate. Um, so, for example, people who are part of communities where they need to kind of get support or share their experiences and build trust between those communities. And I think technology allows us to build those communities with people who are very far away or people that you might not otherwise come into contact with or realize that people that you've never realized or this experience that you're having is actually something that lots of other people share and that can really affect how you behave. Communities being a safe zone which through self-expression creates an intimate bond between its members, which frankly sometimes people don't seem to be aware of until it's being corrupted. But there's not only intimacy between communities, of course, but also between people and their devices. Yeah, I mean, I think 
uh, nowadays, at least in countries like Germany or the UK, many people have this kind of very intimate relationship with their, with their devices or with their computers. Um, and as I was saying, like, you get kind of very attached to it. And designers can use that intimacy in new ways. So Zara mentioned an app called Metadata Plus that uses that intimacy between people and their devices to provoke and confront them with sad but really important news. And this app that was developed by uh, a guy called Josh Begley in the US um, sends you a push notification every time there's a drone strike from the US government. Um, and I really like that because it plays on that that uh, assumption that what comes from your phone is intimate and trusted and, and something lovely. Or, you know, at least even if it's like work emails, it's something not offensive or not... It's, it's something close to you. And this example of the drone strikes is something that we should all be more aware of. And I have to say, I agree with her. It's a really clever, powerful example of bringing something to your attention from very far away into the intimate space between you and your device. I guess what I took away from Sarah, Pia, Michael and all the people we talked to is that when it comes to intimacy, people experience it very differently and look for very different things, which in the end also gets us closer to who we are as individuals. When you design a product or a service, in the end you are trying to enable, nurture meaningful relationships that people have with a brand and organization, and you're trying in some ways to create intimacy. So this has been our first episode of How Might We? We've talked about how technology is changing intimacy and how to design for that. And at IDEO, we talk about design principles. And here are five design principles we'd like to share with you. Yeah, and actually, you know, design principles are not rules or the truth. They're just there to inspire design and new ideas. So number one, we are humans. We live a physical and emotional intimacy. And so we kind of think that what we've heard is it's important to design for both those things. Number two, no intimacy without trust, which you gain through commitment and control. It's worth remembering it's really a very much two-sided thing. So put these at the core. Number three, slow living versus fast dating. This one's really important for me. Technology moves really fast these days. And humans are pretty slow. So we should embrace that. It's kind of beautiful. Number four. Public and private spaces need clear boundaries. Absolutely. It's all about oversharing or undersharing. We need to help define those boundaries and really make them tangible for people. Number five. Allow for expression of what people feel. So this is a personal bugbear of mine. There needs to be something beyond emoticons. I hate them as a journalist. Is digital as a medium intrinsically about speed, efficiency, convenience and many-to-many? -many? Or can we design digital products that are about creating depth and meaning? I believe so. And you? So, how do you pronounce intimacy again? <laughs> <laughs> so, I say intimacy... And you say intimacy. I think we mean the same like thing. The yeah, it's we say that. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Hey, Ed, what, what's next? Um, I have no idea. What do you What do you think? I would love to look into something like um, self-sustaining cities. Oh, cool. Okay, that's an interesting one. I like that a lot. I I'm sort of intrigued by some stuff that's been happening with a circular economy as well. Hmm. 
So kind of like restorative craziness, packaging, design, all those sorts of things. That sounds juicy. Well, anyway, you'll hear us again. This was Anne. And this is Ed. And you listen to How Might We, the podcast on design and technology from Idea Europe. Find us on the usual places on the internet. Bye. Bye.